Hi, this is Josh Marshall, and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. Today, we are, we're going to do something a little different than we normally do. You know, I uh, pride myself, rightly or wrongly, with being all over the Trump-Russia story and, and, you know, knowing every detail about it and stuff like that. But for the last, like, three or four weeks, as the midterms have heated up and uh, we've been working on different things at TPM, I've just totally, uh, you know, fallen off. And, and I know there's, I've known there's a number of, of storylines that are, that, are, that are emerging over the last few weeks, but I'm just totally behind a lot of, a lot of articles that I haven't read. So what we wanted to do today was uh, bring a couple of our colleagues from TPM who are following these stories onto the podcast and let them uh, bring us up to date. I mean, really, to bring me up to date because I feel bad not knowing this stuff. But we'll we'll all get brought up to date together, because even though the uh, special counsel's office has been kind of quiet intentionally in in the final weeks before, or you know, last couple months before the midterm election, kind of everything since uh, Manafort. There's still a lot going on, and even even a decent amount that that is is bubbling up through the press. You've got the Roger Stone investigation has clearly escalated, um, so we want to talk about that. There's been speculation that th- some sort of grand jury controversy with the special counsel's office may have something to do with with uh, President Trump. Maybe they've subpoenaed President Trump. Uh, we have our, our, our colleague, uh, Tierney Sneed, on with us. And I think I was just talking to her a short time before we started recording, and she's skeptical of this theory, but it's not being, it's actually being surfaced in Politico. So, you know, they're, they're not, uh, they're not, go, they're not, not in the habit of going too far out on a limb. Um, before we get started, I wanted to remind you that Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee is our sponsor here at the Josh Marshall Podcast. Want in on New York City's favorite cold brew? Well, head over to Grady'sColdBrew.com for free shipping on all their greatest hits. Grady's famous coffee concentrate is cold brewed, delivering the strongest, smoothest, most refreshing iced coffee on the market. Using a special blend of Indonesian and Ethiopian beans and chicory imported from France, Grady's has a touch of natural sweetness without any added sugar. Grady's is independently owned and operated, and it's been brewing in New York City since 2011. Ready to give it a swirl? Get 20% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. That's promo code TPM. Okay, so uh, I want to introduce, as you know, my colleague, my co-host, David Tainer, yep. is here as as usual. And we're joined today by uh Tierney Sneed, who is a senior reporter on our investigations desk. And we also have a colleague who just joined us, I guess, a couple weeks ago, Josh? Uh, All right. Two weeks ago. Two yeah. weeks ago. Well, it's a couple weeks ago. Um, uh, Josh Kavensky, uh, who is also on our uh, investigations desk. Uh, and and you, you came from the Kiev Post, right? Yeah, that's correct. So tell, tell us about the Kiev Post. What is the Kiev Post? I uh, guess it's Kiev. It's the... Ukrainian pronunciation of it. Yeah, if you want to be very uh, Ukraine-focused, you would say Kiev. But um, it's an English-language paper in Ukraine. Uh, it's been around for around 20 years, and uh, it's one of the few places there that has free reign to kind of investigate and look at different things that's going on in Ukraine and also, you know, the, the intersections it has with the English-speaking world. Got it. Got it. Okay, let, let's talk with let's talk with Tierney first, because I want to I hear about this uh, this 
grand jury mystery. Let, Tony, let's start with what at least the theory is that Politico's floated. So there's actually two different Politico stories that you're referring to. There is the first initial Politico report that was done by their, you know, top Mueller investigation reporters, where they had noticed they did some really smart reporting. First of all, that there was this grand jury matter floating around on the docket at the D.C. appellate court. There's no mention of who's involved in this grand jury matter. You know, everything is sealed. You see that this is happening. You see that there's filings, but you don't know who's involved. So they very smartly staked out the clerk's office, the D.C. appellate clerk's office, and overheard someone dropping off or coming to the clerk's office on the day of a, a, a deadline for a filing in this mystery case. And they overheard him mention, or him or her, I think it was a him, mention that they were looking for a filing from the special counsel. And that sort of tipped him off that this might be Mueller-related. Furthermore, if you look through this docket, you see that Katz, Judge Katzis, appeals court judge, has recused himself, which is notable because he was, before being appointed a, a judge, by an appeals court judge by President President Trump. He was in the Trump White House as a as a legal counsel and has said that he was going to recuse himself from certain Russia probe matters. So those sort of, you know, different clues and hints definitely suggest that it's a Mueller related issue and it's something, you know, we're going to be watching. There's a hearing scheduled in December that I'm sure lots of reporters are going to be staking out to see if they spot any Mueller uh, prosecutors coming in and out. But at least from what we see on the docket, we still don't know for sure who exactly it's involved and what it pertains. But we do know any time that Mueller has had some sort of legal fight over his grand jury and, you know, a witness's obligations to testify from it, it, it goes kind of through this process of first the, the district court ju chief judge hears the issue and she heard this mystery issue. And then, you know, if that person wants to appeal it, it goes up to the appellate court, where, which is where this mystery case is right now. The theory that you're referring to was actually a political magazine piece that was done by, you know, a, a law professor, former prosecutor type. And the reason he thinks that this might be a subpoena of Trump, that was his theory, is because it's moving really, really quickly. You know, usually these matters, you have... 30 days to appeal. And, you know, it takes weeks and weeks for these things to sort of travel up the judicial ladder. But this mystery matter is moving really, really quickly, you know, when you compare to how these matters normally move, which made him kind of think that this must be Trump because they're moving so quickly, they would do something like this for the president. The reason why I'm skeptical of this theory is twofold. One, I would feel like if this was Trump, we would have heard about it from by now because Trump is no is not really very good at keeping a secret. He's not very good at keeping it quiet when he's angry with Mueller. You know, you can usually trace his Twitter rants with something happening, be it a new indictment or even a Fox News hit. So I'm skeptical that if Trump himself was subpoenaed, we we it would have been kept secret. And also Rudy Giuliani is no, you know, press shy person. He also loves to talk to the press. Right. The second reason I'm skeptical is that, you know, this whole theory is based on the, the claim that this is moving really quickly, which to be fair, it is moving really quickly. But if you look at another grand jury fight that we know is Mueller related, the fight over Andrew Miller, a Roger Stone age, excuse me, a Roger Stone aide, who Mueller subpoenaed to testify in front of the grand jury, that's also moved pretty quickly. Not as quickly as this one, but still much quick, more quickly than these normally do. So that kind of gives reason to believe that all of these Mueller-related inquiries and all of these things are just moving quickly for various reasons. So 
Well, I, I definitely think this is probably Mueller related with all of our, our clues. I just don't think we can really assume that it's President Trump itself. And it seems just as likely to me that it could be maybe someone else in the White House, a John Kelly or someone like that, or perhaps someone else is someone else in Trump's sphere, a Trump org lawyer, or even maybe someone else's, you know, lawyer or real estate agent. You know, we saw some of these legal squabbles over grand jury subpoenas earlier when Manafort uh, was sort of the center of the attention here when his attorney was testified, uh, was subpoenaed and tried to resist that subpoena and failed. Now, is is are those other fights public just because the person who is getting subpoenaed is talking about it and that's how everybody knew? Um, it's depend on the case. Uh, the, with the uh, Manafort uh, lawyer, we actually, Politico was also the first to break, break that story and actually use similar tactics. I saw one of the reporters tweeting earlier this week that they staked out the, the clerk's office, saw attorneys for the, the lawyer show up, and that's how they put it together. But eventually the whole matter was unsealed, I think roughly around the time that Manafort himself was indicted. Um, they just unsealed the full proceedings, you know, around that time. And you kind of track weeks earlier how it all had unfolded. Um, in Andrew Miller's case, you know, his attorneys were first sort of hush-hush about it. I was among one of the few reporters who was stake- happened to just be in the courthouse and saw them coming out of the, the, the chief judge's um, courtroom and was able to put together that something was going on there. But they've since, you know, become more open about it. Um, and it seems like the parties have elected that now that we're at the appellate court le- level, it's going to be a more open process. From what I've heard, that the appellate court hearing that's going to be happening, I, I believe it's next week, actually, it's going to be open. So we are now getting to see more of what's going on there, even though it did start uh, as a sealed proceeding. Got it. Okay. All right. So so it sounds like not, you know, maybe it's Trump, but that's reading a lot into the tea leaves. And there's obviously a lot Correct. of other potential uh, grand jury fights. And as you say, there's, there's it certainly makes sense that I, I'm almost surprised well, I don't, I don't know who, who all the different people are who, who've been called or haven't been called, but it, it would stand to reason that there are a lot of people in the White House that, that Mueller would want to talk to, certainly on the, on the obstruction-related stuff. So, okay, so that's it. It's probably, so that seems less, less yeah. likely. Yeah, and, and keep in mind, talk. in terms of the, the White House's cooperation with Mueller, when this thing first started... And the, the initial legal team that was in the White House, led by Ty Cobb, their strategy, strategy was cooperation. So they were not challenging grand jury, or, uh, excuse me, they were not challenging Mueller when he was seeking to interview these people. Lots of White House aides were interviewed that we know of. We know that um, the uh, Don McGahn himself sat for hours and hours of interviews. So for a while, at least, it seemed like there was no effort to really resist cooperation. We now know that a lot of that legal team has left. There's a new legal team. We know Rudy Giuliani, when he was hired as Trump's personal attorney, he he signaled that there was going to be a more combative um, approach to this. So maybe things have changed, um, and that's why there's new resistance to having a White House aide. Hypothetically, again, we don't know if it's a White House aide. We don't know if it's for sure it's someone Trump-related. But uh, that it, I just think that it's just as likely to be anyone in Trump circle as it would be the president himself. Got it. Okay. So the the other thing, and this is, there's been a lot of chatter about this, and I, and I've been I've wanted to get a better sense. We we have going back months. 
there's kind of things here and there about Roger Stone and this Roger Stone aide is being questioned and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and we've known the he's had a whole series of stories about like first he was like tight with WikiLeaks and he was talking to them all the time. And then that was a joke and, and blah, 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 blah. But in the last two or three weeks, it seems to have like heated up significantly and other people are getting called in. So, so Josh, bring us up to date. What is, what, what seems new as of today, as opposed to, you know, like a few weeks ago? Well, over the past week or so, I think we've seen either repeat uh, interviews with people in Stone's orbit, or in the case of Steve Bannon, we've seen people who were previously uninvolved or not necessarily known to have been involved called in uh, both by the special counsel investigation and also, uh, in Bannon's case, by the Senate uh, Intelligence Committee. Um, the other, per- I mean, the big person who's been called in over and over again now is Jerome Corsi. He's a uh, noted conspiracy theorist, Infowars, uh, former Washington bureau chief, if you really want to call it that. And he's a guy who testified before the special counsel grand jury investigation in September and was called in again this week and testifies actually today uh, in Washington. And so, you know, him being called in has kind of raised eyebrows, fueled speculation that, uh, you know, prosecutors are thinking about charging Stone maybe in the future right after the midterms. And then also the uh, Bannon piece is probably the more interesting one because. Let, let me yeah. ask you on the Corsi thing, because I thought I saw something to the effect of there that email back and there's been email back and forth between those two men found which seems to talk about you know some kind of advanced knowledge of the WikiLeaks stuff but they've said oh we were just kind of joking around or something what's the story there right well stone's line on that has changed if you look back at his statements uh in the run-up to the 2016 election he told multiple people in many public forums public and private uh on the record and also off, off the record that he was in contact with assange and that he uh, had access to the WikiLeaks emails, and that he knew he basically he knew what was going on. He was boasting about it. And since then, he's tried to walk that back. He's, I think, in his words, he's either called it puffery, or in a column he wrote for Daily Caller yesterday, I think he called it dunking on people on Twitter, which was also kind of funny uh, in his you know unique style. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, with with but of course, uh, of course, he was one of the people that he was talking to about this. Uh, supposedly, they had their emails reflecting that. And the big question is, to what extent you know were they coordinating? The information, if at all. Now, one th- one thing about Corsi, and this is more for our for our listeners, he it is definitely right to call him a conspiracy theorist, but that makes him sound like some sort of very marginal figure. When in fact, if you go back a couple decades, he has long been the sort of Republican Party kind of author of choice. So, if you go back to like the Swift Boat controversy. In 2004, there was a big, you know, Swift Boat book that everybody kind of followed. That was written by Jerome Corsi. There, he's also the guy who started the birther thing, basically, or at least sort of, you know, created a a stockpile of quote unquote research behind it. And there was a big book. There's been he's probably had seven or eight of these books over the years. And again, they were not treat they they were kind of like doctrinal books in in GOP campaigns. So a a a significant and and at least until quite recently, you know, widely embraced figure in the GOP. Anyway, okay, so let's go back. So we talked about, so there's there's something there. Now you said the thing with between Stone and Bannon seems more like more going on there maybe. 
Right. Well, it, it's new information. So uh, the New York Times yesterday published a story revealing a series of emails between Bannon, Roger Stone, and also uh, a Breitbart journalist named Matthew Boyle. And basically the way it goes is that on October 3rd, 2016, Boyle reaches out to Stone asking him uh, about what information he has regarding WikiLeaks and Assange. Um, Stone replies and says, you know, Bannon's not taking my calls. Uh, the next day, Stone does a conference call with journalists in Berlin. Uh, oh, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm incorrect. Assange does a conference call with uh, journalists in Berlin saying, look, we have all this material relating to the Clinton campaign. We're going to release it uh, systematically before the election over the next month. This is early October. So Bannon then emails Stone uh, immediately after that saying, what's going on? Stone replies, they have another exchange. Um, Bannon at some point kind of ignores him um, and Stone immediately tries to like grub for money. That's basically how the exchange ends. Now, on that money, th- I saw that. Is that is the idea there that it's money for Stone or w- w- money for what? It's yeah. There's there's different theories about that. Um, Stone had a pack, and there's some thinking that he was trying to get Bannon to convince Rebecca Mercer to donate money to that. Um, but it, from the email, it's not 100 percent clear what exactly he was trying to do. He just he just says you know Rebecca trying to get Rebecca to send I think some amount of money to some organization that he doesn't specify. Okay, so but at least the surmise is that it's some pack that he'd set up to be sort of his piggy bank for political stuff. Right. Yes. Okay. Exactly. All right. Yeah. So what else? What 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 do we? Is that it? Is that what we know? Or well, I think it's important to keep in mind that the email. I mean, first of all, we don't have access to all the information. We don't know if they talked, you know, over the phone or if there were other emails. This is just what we can see right now. Um, and I think it's worth keeping in mind that. The emails right now make Steve, I mean, Steve Bannon comes off looking relatively clean in this. I mean, he doesn't seem interested in coordinating with WikiLeaks or the Russians. Well, the fact that he'd been like, like shutting him, you know, shutting him out is, 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 is in a legal context seems pretty positive for Steve Bannon. If, if, if he had to go, you know, if, if Stone is like begging to get, you know, to get his calls returned or something like that. Sure. And I think it's also worth keeping in mind that, you know, Steve Bannon's lawyer, Bill Burke, is a guy who I think is very media savvy. Um, and I think readers can you know conclude from that what they will. Right, right, right. OK, so so that so are there other if if the question is, I mean, there's it seems it seems very clear that that the special counsel's office is very interested in Roger Stone. And there's at least it seems like a, a wide expectation, rightly or wrongly, that probably after the election, He's going to have some legal issue. You know, he's going to get indicted for something. Um, is there anything else that has come up in the last couple of weeks that sort of sheds light on that? I have to think about that. You know, you are seen, those those two things like the big things. Those are the big things. I think you've seen more people in Stone's orbit kind of splitting away from him. There's this New York comedian Randy Credico, right. who right. yeah, he, I mean, he's a funny sort of wrinkle in the story. So he's a guy who for a while had been, I mean, close with Stone, an ally of his. Uh, he's also the guy who Stone has repeatedly claimed was his conduit to WikiLeaks. So he's really trying to throw Credico into the bus. Right. And Credico has, like, over the past few weeks, really split from Stone and tried and really publicly and kind of profanely uh, started pushing back against that. You know, he told me, I think, yesterday that Stone was the worst thing that ever happened to him. Uh, all these different things. And other things I probably can't say on the air. Right. But, okay. Yeah. Got it. Got it. All right. So all these, yeah, all, all these. It's a, it's a very. It's a very weird thing because, well, I was going to say, on the one hand, the fact that Bannon was sort of shutting him out, I mean, that's good, not just for Bannon, but on its 
on its own, it's good for sort of everybody in the Trump orbit. Like, oh, we wouldn't even want to talk to that guy. But the thing I keep coming back to is that it's this is not a normal White House or normal campaign where you could at all reliably assume that if, you know, if Steve Bannon is shutting him out, you know, he might be talking with Trump every night. Uh, you know, uh, Roger, Roger Stone. So, uh, you know, we, we, we have no way of knowing. Um, okay. So, and, and both of you, both of you guys can, can jump in on, on either one of these. Now we, we going from, from the, from the serious and complex to the absurd, we had this you know, this isn't like part of the Russia story per se, but it's 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 sort of you know anti-Russia probe, dirty ops campaigns. This thing with this with this this freak Jacob Wall, who's what is he twenty one now? I don't know. He was tw- he's twenty. He's, oh, he's oh, what, yeah. so he's currently twenty years old. Okay, I was I wasn't sure if like that was when he got like you know kicked out of the financial industry or whatever. Okay. I think he was like nineteen when he got <laughs> okay, booted from the All financial right. sector. So twenty years old, and then this guy Berkman, who's who's I keep hearing him referred to as a GOP lobbyist, but pretty hard for me to imagine that any like legitimate who would yeah, hire him. Yeah, there's been some reporting on that. I mean, if you go and, you know, look up in the LDA disclosure, the Lobbying Disclosure Act, that's a good way to, you know, find lobbying records. He's got records as a quote unquote lobbyist, but it seems like he's also been found to have sort of exaggerated and inflated his career as an actual lobbyist. But that's sort of the the shorthand that people use to describe him, even though he has sort of made more of a career for himself as being this conspiracy theorist slash, you know, grifter who tries to insert himself into whatever big conservative cause of the day is. Right. Okay. So let's take this, let's, let's, let's start from just the top of what is the, what is this Jacob Wall, Berkman, you know, Mueller attack, hoax, whatever story. So there's sort of two stories that came that kind of came out at the same time. And it's been really hard to disentangle the two and figure out because both of them are shady and bizarre and (laughs) totally unfounded. But and, you know, all the players have been saying different things about their involvement. Um, So it's all a big mess. (laughs) But there's two sort of separate stories. The story that kind of first started percolating um, was this mysterious email that was blasted out to a bunch of reporters. Um, TPM received it. Of this, you know, the sender claimed to be this woman named Lorraine Parsons who worked with Mueller in the 1970s. She was a paralegal at a firm he was at. And then said, out of the blue, this person claimed that she was uh, received outreach from someone claiming to be working for Berkman who wanted to pay her to sign documents alleging um, sexual misconduct by Mueller. Um, but outside this email, no one's been able to corroborate. Multiple reporters tried to get her on the phone. She would not get on the phone. It was so, no one ran with it. <laughs> it was just a weird thing. I mean, reporters get weird tips all the time. It sounds like what you're saying is that that this, you know, alleged person did interact with with reporters and maybe us by email, but she wouldn't get on the phone. Yeah, no, okay. I, multiple reporters tried to track her down. Apparently, she was still 
quote, she, this person was still, you know, having email exchange with some reporters. She told some reporters that she was working with the New Yorker, but the New Yorker has come out and said that this was all a hoax. Um, so anyway, this would have all probably stayed quiet and no one would have known about it until, because reporters, as we, we know, don't just run with random claims we hear in emails, we vet them. Until earlier this week, when uh, Jacob Wall and Jack Berkman started hyping that they were going to have this allegation uh, against uh, Mueller that they were going to unveil in this press conference on Thursday. And that's when reporters started hinting on Twitter that there was this email and, you know, n no one really knew how to talk about it because obviously it was unvetted. So, you know, we didn't know if there was a payoff scheme or what. And then it sort of kind of became more newsworthy when the, a, a spokesperson for Mueller, who's, you know, notoriously no comment, no comment, no comment, said, you know, we've referred this to the FBI. And then the story got weirder because then as more people started coming out at that point and saying, OK, this is what we tried to do to vet it. We heard, you know, it came out to the public that there appeared to be this, quote, intel firm called Surefire Intelligence that was somehow involved when people started looking into this intel firm. It, there was all these fingerprints showing that Jacob Wall wasn't in, was involved in this this you know bogus Intel firm. People started looking into it, and it had all these fake photos on the LinkedIn profiles for the you know alleged employees. Wall's denying that he's involved. Meanwhile, they're still hyping this allegation. And Thursday, we have the the allegation you know fully revealed to the public, and the allegation is this you know alleged. 2010 rape that happened at the St. Regis Hotel in, in Manhattan. You know, the, the original date they floated for this was August 2nd, 2010. It's since been pointed out that there's contemporaneous reporting in the Washington Post that Mueller was at jury duty in D.C., uh, that day. Now, I, I, I love this part of it because there are probably pretty few days when there is like a published Washington Post report, you know, from from nine years ago saying actually you know that that Robert Mueller was absolutely positively in in Washington DC so yeah I mean it was you know a silly it's a silly reliable sources sort of gossipy like funny like oh yeah Mueller showed up for jury duty he you know when they asked if he knows law enforcement he just said oh yeah I know law enforcement you know the irony being he's the FBI director at the time right so you know <laughs> just just per chance you know happenstance but what was funny about the whole affair is that on Wednesday you know, the day before the press conference, I talked to Berkman on the phone. At this point, the documents, you know, the quote unquote affidavit of this, these allegations had briefly been posted on Gateway Pundit. So I was aware that August 2nd was, you know, the date that they were pushing. And I had done the research and seen that there was this Washington Post story. So I asked him about this Washington Post story. And at first he tried to suggest that, oh, wow, Mueller's already leaking his schedule. And I said, no, no, no. Like, this was a Washington Post story I found myself by Googling. And then he said, yeah, we're not aware of it. Fast forward till thurs Thursday, we're at the press conference. He again starts suggesting that Mueller's leaking his schedule, which he's not. R reporters point out that this was in the Washington Post. It was very easily found on Google. He then backtracks and says, oh, well, yeah, this came up in our vetting too. And then I had to raise my hand and say, wait a minute, can you clarify? You told me yesterday you weren't aware of the story. So that kind of is just goes to show you know, how untrustworthy and uncredible um, the people pushing this are. So with the and, and with the wall thing, so basically, it seems like every 
sign is that, you know, he went to one of these, you know, kind of $50 build your own website, taught, you know, kind of grab some pictures from Google and he created a phone number, but like, I guess forwarded it to his mom's number. Because he's only 20, yeah, so he's still so on I the family plan. Yeah, so I guess saying now it was because of his, you know, his cell phone is on his mom's family plan. Oh, so, <laughs> so it really is. So that's why it goes, yeah, that's why it's getting forwarded to his mother. Um, he was very indignant about his mother getting dragged into this. But, you know, if he had just been honest with reporters and said, oh, yeah, I set up Surefire Intelligence, you right. know. In the first place, right. I don't think reporters would have had to, you know, go try tracking down what this mysterious number is uh, leading to on its voicemail. Now, let me ask one last question here, and and that is, so so the special counsel's office referred this to the FBI, uh, and and that me, you know, you refer something when you think there is a a a good chance there's criminal activity, so. Uh, Obviously, this is like totally bonkers, and, and it must break some law if you pay someone to make a false legal claim against someone. But ha- has there been any discussion among reporters, like what what laws would we potentially be talking about here? What yeah. would the potential crimes be? So, yeah, it's unclear to me. I mean, if you had taken this initial email at, at face value and thought there was a payoff scheme, I'm sure there's, you know, laws and and that could be broken here. But, you know, we're now sort of under the assumption that this payoff scheme was also a hoax. I should add, though, that there are there is another at least one other person, Jennifer Taub. She's a law professor. She does a lot of commentating on TV. She said she received an email offering payment for dirt on Mueller, I think about a week or two ago around when all this was starting to percolate. And she said it came from a surefire intelligence email Jacob Wall and Jack Berkman are also denying any involvement in that. So maybe there was an earnest payoff scheme going on, but it's still all very murky. Well, but putting a, that aside. Yeah. But it certainly <laughs> seems that like aside. that law professor, I mean, that's not someone, I mean, uh, you know, a law professor at a, at a, at a you know, at a major law school is not going to like, you know, these are serious claims. So yeah. that, that makes me wonder. And, and I guess the other thing is if the Parsons thing is a hoax, like a hoax by who? <laughs> I, you know what I mean? I mean, it's like a yeah. Hoax a I hoax. mean, it doesn't seem. It. I mean, it seems to me that you know this was an attempt to sort of catch the media off guard. I don't know if whoever these hoaxers were were expecting the media to sort of run with it and just go, you know, publish it unvetted, which again the media right. did not. But now Berkman and, and Wall are trying to spin this as, oh, the media breathlessly reported on this hoax, which is completely untrue. Um, you know, no one was reporting on this until, you know, their involvement sort of became public and you can sort of start to connect the dots here. Right. Um, right, right. so I don't know if it was a way to sort of try to inoculate whatever scrutiny their accuser was going to get by saying, oh, look, the media ran with this with this hoax. You can't trust whatever scrutiny they give of our accuser. Right. right. I don't know if that was the sort of the, the grand plans here. Um, I think there's, you know, still more to kind of come out of all of this. Right. Uh, but on the side note of what laws that uh, could have been broken, it was pointed out to me um, by a, a tipster that, in California, D.C., and New York, all places that Wall says that his private intel firm has offices, there's actually laws that say you have to uh, li- to uh, license, get a license if you're going to br- be a private detective service. And, you know, it doesn't appear he's got a license in any of those places. 
I reached out to him about this yesterday. He told me over Twitter DM, oh, we're actually a consulting firm. We don't do the services that require licenses. So who knows? Maybe he'll get in trouble for not licensing his bogus private Intel firm. Right, 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 right. Um, Okay, well, uh, uh, Tierney and Josh, thank you so much. This is I feel I feel basically up to date um, on on the on the Russia story. Anything anything else that 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 is that is sort of come up on this front in the last couple of weeks that that seems significant and we haven't discussed, Josh? Any you seemed like you had something you wanted to add. Uh, I have to think for a second. Uh, at the moment, no. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, we just wanted to update all of you on this because I, I, I assume, I think that uh, with the midterm, people are, you know, you see these things out of the corner of your eye, but you, you don't have the full story. I guess the one thing, it, the one thing we can take from this is that it certainly seems like the special counsel's office is building to something having to do with Roger Stone that would probably come. That is that is probably being held till after the midterm, or and maybe longer than that, but something like that. Uh, anyway, so uh, th- thank you to both of you. Uh, glad to get uh, have you uh, on on the show. Want to remind everybody that the Josh Marshall podcast is uh, brought to you by Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. That's at Grady'sColdBrew.com. Uh, if you want to wait, I'm picking up the ad copy here. Ready to give it a swirl? Get 20% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. That's promo code. TPM. All right. Thanks, folks. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys.